This is Mel Stewart, and this is a Gold Medal Minute Takeover, the Swim Swam podcast. Joining me is Coleman Hodges, a 200 butterfly, if you guys didn't know that. And also joining us is the greatest butterfly coach of all time, the Honorable Bob Bowman. <laughs> Thanks. Good to be here. I think that you've kind of oversold it a little bit, but hey. Looking for the latest swim technology from the fastest brands? Find the right suit for you with Swim Outlet's 2020 Tech Suit Review. Available now at swimoutlet.com slash blog. Thanks so much. I love you, buddy. I appreciate you jumping on to do this. Same here. Um, I'm, I'm going based on just my personal knowledge and interactions with you over the years, <clears throat> many, many years. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were a flyer. At Florida State, you were a flyer and you were a 50-point flyer. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Blazing speed. <laughs> 50 point is legit. That's, you know, you're swimming fly. In 1986, it was probably okay. <laughs> it was, um, I, I feel a kinship with you because of our, our South Carolina roots and yeah. our butterfly roots. Were, were you always a butterflyer uh, in your formative years or is it something that happened in college only? No, I always was. Yeah, I started swimming in summer league, and that was, you know, nobody could swim butterfly, so they put me in it. That's kind of how it got started. I love it. So uh, the knowledge is deep with Bob Bowman <laughs> when it comes to fly. Uh, all right, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say Michael Phelps 50,000 times, so we are going to reference him a little bit. And hey. it's, uh, this is really about flies. But I'm, I'm going to begin with an example and, and just out of curiosity, that you know, there, is this myth or legend? Everybody talks about it on deck when you're not around. They're like, yeah, when when you know when Bob was working with with Michael when he was when he was young, his formative years, he didn't let him swim a whole lot of fly in practice. In fact, he wanted his stroke to be perfect. And uh, could you could you give us your 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 philosophy behind that and and yeah, how you did it? Absolutely true. Um, you know, Michael had the basics for his stroke when I started working with him. But um, I wanted to refine it. And to get that to happen, I didn't want him swimming a lot of sloppy butterfly in practice. So whenever he did do fly in practice, it was under conditions where he could do the full stroke and do it well, where he could kick every cycle, not kind of do that survival stroke. Actually, if he ever wanted to kind of get under my skin, he would do a thing called baby stroke, where he'd swim with his head up and do this. <laughs> but that was more intentional. I don't think, you know, he's kind of just, a way to get under my skin sometimes but in general we kept his you know butterfly repeats and practice short and we also kept the amount that he was doing relatively small when you're you you have a long career working with atrium swimmers and uh you know you really earned your stripes in this sport and uh you did your time yeah but, but spending all that time with with young swimmers if you see them you know you're in practice or going through their four strokes and you're you're what are you looking for when, you're, when you see a kid and you're like, that kid, that kid's a flyer. What are you looking for? Well, I think you're looking for a natural rhythm and how they move. And I'm looking for this concept, which is, I don't know, we've always called it holding water on your feet. That we work with Michael on that all the time. So what we want to do on a fly kick is you want to almost push yourself forward by holding the water on your feet and not just wag up and down like that. And I think the best butterflies, you're going to see them have a rhythm like that it's almost like cracking a whip with their feet. How important is the upkick? Oh, super important. That's how you broke a world record, right? You're the best kicker in the world of your generation. I actually know that. Okay. Michael is the best of his. 
Well, I appreciate you saying that. It's a um, so. Well, let's let's go back through that lens a little bit. Yeah. The it, early early in my career with Frankie Bell. Remember Frankie Bell? Sure. Frankie Bell was my age group coach. And then with Bruce Stein, who swam at NC State and was a butterflyer. Um, they, I started doing a lot of big kicking sets early on, but it, it, this was in the 1970s and 80s. So really it was what I call blowout sets. They were just loading me up with work. Yeah. In terms of fly kick and talking about how important it is, what do you do with age group swimmers to develop their kick, push yeah. their kick? How do you load them up? How do you build that base? Here's one thing that's probably we do a little bit differently. I don't like fly kick on a board because it's the easiest thing to do. And because it's so shallow, they only kick one direction, right? They don't get an up kick. So if they're kicking on a board, all of my people do flutter all the time. That's the rule. Uh, but if they're doing fly kick, they'll either do it on their side, on their back, vertically. So that's kind of how we get at the fly kick. But I feel like the motion is really important to have the balance of having an up kick and a down kick, right? Not just one direction. My guess is that you've – I've probably done 500 clinics, and that's that, you know. But I bet you've done thousands. A lot. So uh, – but my experience in, in, compared to yours, which is small, is that I, I get on deck. And, you know, one of the first things we do is we have the kids, you know, put their arms into a streamlined position and show me your streamline. Yeah, and I can't. I, I, I my heart falls and it, 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 it sinks when I see what I see. Mm. Um, when you're when you're, I'm sure you've gone through this. What are you looking for when you're talking to a 12 year old kid and you're saying, "Show me your streamline on deck"? You know, it's like this is kind of crazy. But in the lockdown, I started doing yoga. <laughs> right. It's actually great. But what they talk about all the time is length, right? That's what we want to see. We want to see length from the top of your head to your feet, although actually through your fingertips. So I'm looking for a flat back, right? You don't want to have an arch in the lower back. You want a flat back, stomach, uh, belly button coming towards your spine. You want to see head in a neutral position, press back into the arms. And then you want to see everything kind of locked out up on the top as, as well as you can do that. But I think that's what I'm looking for is like length, not just some sort of putting your hands over your head. We know, we know that core strength is, is, is important when it comes to fly kick. You're kicking with your entire body. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in, in my era, we, didn't, we did sit-ups. We did a few things. Uh, my, my coach learned from Doc Councilman and was doing very innovative things at the time, Frankie Bell. But compared to what's happening now, I, I, it doesn't compare. What, right. what, what were you doing in the formative years with, with Michael and with your age group swimmers? And how has that evolved through time for course dry land for the yeah. dry land course? Um, what I was doing with Michael all the way until the 2004 Olympics was basically body weight work. Um, he didn't lift a weight until he we went to Michigan in 2004. And I, that was by design. We wanted to have something to add to his program. But we did a ton of different core exercises. We actually did this thing called the Tennessee Dryland Circuit, a Ray Buzzard thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Kind of. It a little was a yeah. circuit-based thing, but it was all core, you know, basically, some conditioning work. But we did that. We did the Mike Betterman Medicine Ball program, and that was super hard. Like, when I, I, I – like – Going into 2004, probably 2003 and four, we did that for an hour, five days a week, the whole program. 
and it was super hard, but it's all core based, right? All of that stuff is, you know, sort of functional. It's all core based. All right. And, I, and just so for our listeners out there, I, want, I promise them we're going to get into some nerdy stuff and some tidbits they're probably going to like. And, yeah. uh, but he, here's one. We'll just throw it out there on the table. I, I heard, myth or legend, I heard that in, through, through Phelps' career, through until the end, this illustrious career, greatest athlete on earth, he never did more than 75 fly straight in practice. Is that true? He did a lot of hundreds. But that's probably the limit. I will tell you a funny story about him. Um, when it goes back to how we managed his butterfly, because we knew that butterfly was sort of his thing, right? He was a nag record holder at 10. But Michael only, for, for me, didn't swim a 200 fly in a meet until he was 13. And he did it to qualify for junior nationals. I guess he was 14. We did him in, you know, we train fly in practice, but he'd only swim 100, maybe swim 50 when he's 11, 12. But so he swam the 200 fly. And I remember he made the cut first time he swam it, right? He was like, you know, I don't know what it was at the time, 213 or something. And he was going to swim in the summer at, uh, in Orlando that summer. And I remember in between, I was like, wow, he's got to at least maybe swim a couple 200 flies. So he's got more than just this one or actually two, one in the morning and one at night before he swims in the meet. So we did a thing in practice where basically they did three 200 flies from a dive, and it was like, just do a 200 fly. And I remember he went like 214. And I thought, well, okay, whatever. That's pretty good. He went 13 in the meet, so okay. So we go to the meet and he swims. He swims 204, 68. It was a nag record that – uh had stood for 20 years, Ricardo Prado, right? And the record was 204.69, even 204.68, right? All good. So we go back to our normal training, and we're getting ready for the Nationals in uh, Seattle. It's in March of 2000, right? And it's the first time he's going to swim in a Nationals, and the, the big guys are there. And so same thing. I was like, you know, six weeks before, let's do those three 200 flies because you just see what happens. And he was training really well then, and uh, I felt like he was going to go really fast on that. Like, I thought he might go, like, 205 or something, right? And he kind of just went not much faster, like 209. And I was sort of disappointed with the swim, and he came up after the set, and, and I was like, well, you know, you went 214 in uh, the summer and ended up at 204, so you went 209, you probably break two minutes in the meet which the nag record was like 204.68, right? So we go in March, and in the prelims, he swims 159.6. 6. He breaks the 15.16 nag and the 13.14. And so he does his first ever interview that night. After he swam at night, he went 159 flat. And the guy asked him, so when did you think you could break two minutes in the 200 fly? And he said, oh, my coach told me about six weeks ago that we did this set, and he said I could probably break two minutes. So they really are listening. And I had just made that up to make myself feel good because like, I said, well, this is terrible. He should have gone 205. He didn't really do anything. But I think that speaks to how you kind of put it together. But in training, he really basically did hundreds and below. Every now and then a 150. I can remember a 400 he did one time. He went like 420 and a 400. But that was like one time. I just felt like he couldn't kick and maintain a kick through a whole distance if it got too long. And that's his trademark, right, the continuous kicking. That's what he brought to Butterfly. Okay. That, 
this is what came to mind while you were talking. It's, uh, I, you know, all strokes are a dance. All strokes are a connection, mind, body, and you've got to be focused. The difference between good and great is how focused are you day-to-day, stroke for stroke. Uh, how would you compare Phelps and the, and the elite crew that you've worked with, which is a deep, deep roster, yep. with uh, everyone else? What, what are you seeing in practice? How do you, are, you, are you aware of this? Like, yeah. this kid's connected. Yeah. This kid's focused. What are you looking for? You know, what I see in Michael and what I see in the very best swimmers, particularly in Butterfly, the one thing that I could tell you that I would notice on him that I noticed on almost nobody else. And we had good butterflyers, right? A lot of good butterflies. If we were swimming long course, Michael would push off with these other guys and be exactly the same as them until the last five meters. And then at the wall, he would be a body length ahead of them. He just would not slow down. He just doesn't slow down. And I saw that over and over and over. And it's something I've kind of tried to develop in people. Like Chase is actually pretty good at that when he trains butterfly, right? He maintains speed through a whole lap. Um, Haley Flickinger, same thing. I've got a privilege of training her right now. And she does the very same thing. She'll be even with some of these guys and then be a body length ahead at the wall because she just doesn't slow down. And I think that's a key element in what makes some of those guys special. Let's just uh... – we're going to get to Haley in, in, a, in a minute. Yeah. Uh, just by the way, when I, when I saw her on deck at a certain point, I'm like, you're with Bob. You're doing exactly what you should do. And I you know what, let's just go there. I'll, I'll tell, I'll, I'll say, I'll tell you why. Yeah. I have the full experience of training fly, the full experience of, you know, four or five coaches, all which provided great information. But I asked you, I said, you know, Hey, you know, if you trained me in fly to fly, what would you have done? And your response, it's been years since you said yeah. this, you said, I would have trained you to make the Olympic team and win in the 400 meter free. And then you would have done your best 200 fly that you could possibly do. And I was just like, God, it's right. Uh, what were their what first cousins? 400 IM, 400 free, 200 fly. They're all in the family. They're very closely related. So, so if, if you're, if you're trying to, if you're trying to sharpen steel, yeah. That's your go-to, especially for the two flies. You're going 400 free. You're going to train 400 free, 400 IM. What's your mindset behind that? Well, I just think the energy systems are very similar, right? And the way that they're put together is very similar. And I think in our country, we get kind of caught up in the short course swimming. And we forget that a 200-yard free, for instance, is the same thing as 100 meters, Right? 500 free is 200 meters. We don't like to think that, but that's the way it is. So it's very similar in the long course. If you want to train a really good 200, I feel like you have to have at least a strong 400 in your bag somewhere. That club has to be in your bag. It doesn't have to be everything you do. But, you know, Michael, for instance, um, don't want to use his name too much, but, like, we had to deal with him in the extreme when he was swimming this big program. The deal was he had to swim 1,500 meters once a year. And he did that all the way through 2008. He did his best time the last one he swam in 2008. So it's kind of that theory, which, you know, I know it's a little old school, but it really works. And long course, it really works. It, it, it hit him. It hit him. It struck a nerve with me. And here's why uh, John Tremblay had me do 500 free one season. And I, I went 416. I think I got fifth at NC2As. Yeah. And I was, I was kind of mad because I didn't get top three at NC2As in freestyle. And, uh, but the following year, I broke my first world record. Right. And I was like, that's why I was just like, oh, man, he's right. I should have been doing this. 
yeah. from um, early. It just gives early, you the foundation of what it's really going to take. Should have been doing like, it early on. Butterfly, it's not about generating speed. It's about not slowing down. How mm-hmm. long can you maintain what you're doing? Let's talk sets. Uh, I, I got a uh, – I was like, hey, Bob, you know, what's, what's a great set? And you shared with me. I like this set, and I call it the wobble. Yeah. If I remember correctly, it's 20 times 50 fly. I forgot the repeat, but at a certain – and it's all off the blocks, and at a certain point, you're looking for a wobble. Tell me about the, the okay. butterfly wobble set. Well, you undersell it because it's 30. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. And – I have to give credit where credit's due. I got it from Laurie Lawrence. It's the set he did with John Seaman, right? We call it the John Seaman set. Uh, it's 3100s on 130 long course. They swim a 50 free, and it has to be under 35. They climb out, and then they dive a 50 fly as fast as they can. Do that 30 times. And That's the, a hard one. And the wobble? The wobble comes at about five left. If they're not doing that, they probably didn't work it hard enough, but nobody can do it really hard and not kind of get into that when they climb out. They're like, whoa, it's a maximal challenge. And if I did that with Michael, it would take him three or four days to come back and do anything good in practice. It just kind of, it, you dig deep to do that one. Could you share a, perhaps another wobble type set yeah. that is innovative that some coaches would love to hear, some swimmers would love to hear? Yeah. I'll give you one that I love, um, short course. I actually love to train short course, particularly butterfly, fly and breast, because I think you maintain your technique better. And I actually think you can do better aerobic training, well, at least higher range aerobic training in a short course because you break it up a little bit, right? You can maintain it over a longer period of time. Um, we love to do a set of 4550s. And the way they work is you'll go 10 of them on 40. And those are, we call stroke control, which means you're going to work within a parameter of a stroke count. And for Michael, it's probably six, right? Six and six, something like that. So the same number of kicks every wall, same number of strokes. And you're going to be basically concerned with that. So your time's probably going to be 28, right? It's not going to be that fast. So you do 10 of those. Then you go right into five on 35 as fast as you can go. Then you go right back in and do that two more times. There's no breaks. So you do the five on 35, then you got to go right back into the 10. And if you can hold stroke and do that, Michael, I remember, used to go on the fast ones. He'd get down to going 25 seconds on 35, which was American record pace at the time, 550s on 35. Then go back into the 10. So that's the kind of stuff we would do where the repeats are short, but the work is big, right? That's a, that's a pretty big thing of work. It's all like it's all holding pace. You know, it sounds a lot like what Katie Ledecky does for the mile. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, okay. I don't. I feel like kicking and butterfly. They're not. There's not a lot of value in doing any of those kind of easy. <laughs> they should be intense, and they should be at the top of your you know kind of energy level. Or otherwise, you know, I guess you can descend some in butterfly. But really, if you're going to do your best stroke, it's almost a maximal effort, and that stroke control is probably the midpoint. Here's a here's a big hurdle that a lot I I could never, I didn't master this a lot of athletes can't master this but hundred fly and two hundred fly two different events very different yeah. and uh, for a long time it looked like Michael was just a fast two hundred flyer and a hundred fly he was always touching the wall seventh or eighth in the hundred meters yep and it's uh, but I knew that those were two different strokes and frankly I never mastered it 
Michael did later in his career. Um, what, how did you approach that? And, and, you know, how did you master that? Well, I think the approach with him was the key to it was the second 50, right? He never had a particularly good first 50 and he just couldn't generate. Michael, in my opinion, is a 400 swimmer. And then he would swim 200s and then he could do 100. He could do a mile, but it was basically he was a middle distance swimmer who, you know, we spent some time trying to work on sprinting and, and he just never got faster that way. There's a certain rate where he had to swim at a certain relaxation state. So we would just try to get the first 50 fast enough without using too much energy so he could hammer the second 50. And, you know, the story is the Beijing one, which is his, you know, 100 fly everybody knows, we had talked about the strategy for that race for a long time, right? And the only strategy was he needed to be under 24 at the 50. If you are 23 anything, you win, period. Of course, he's 2402 or something like it, the 50. I looked up, I was like, damn it. <laughs> so that's what made it exciting. If he had been a 10th faster, eh, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. But it was basically based on the second 50, and we always prided ourselves on having the fastest second 50, and that's how he approached the 100. I don't think he could do it based on, like, going out in 22-3 or something. He just can't do it. As he, got, as he got older, he got jacked. He got really, you know, he filled in. He, he looked yeah. like a, he, he grew. We, you know, the whole world loves Michael because he's an icon and he's the greatest swimmer of all time. But we also feel like we raised a child. He, yeah, he, for sure. From that, that boyish, he was kind of goofy on deck. And then we watched him grow into this handsome, well-spoken man. Um, when he was at, two, at the 2000 Olympic Games. Yeah. And, uh. Just so you know, I watched the final, and I and I and I stood up watching the final. I mean, I think I'm in a t-shirt, underwear, standing in front of our widescreen television, yelling at my wife, a non-swimmer, saying, "That kid! Don't look at anybody else. Look at that kid! I can't believe that." What was his mindset at that time? And um, mm -hmm. yeah, what what was going on? What was going through his head before that race? And what and what which because that race was huge. It's a perfect example of young kid. So it's kind of widely known that we have a pretty regimented routine before these races start, right? Even back then. So two hours before he shows up, does a stretching thing, gets in, gets out, gets back in. There's a whole, it's all time. Well, the night of the Olympic final in Sydney, Michael, whose roommate was Aaron Pearsall, takes Aaron's credential. And Aaron takes his. And as you know, in those events, they're not too friendly about saying, oh, yeah, you can get in with some other guys. So he couldn't leave the village. And then when, actually he left the village, but then he realized he didn't have his credentials. So he went back and they wouldn't let him in. So there was this whole little drama. He only got to the venue for the final an hour before. So I was just like, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to act like everything's cool, not rush, do a little warm up and swim. So it was definitely a different kind of preparation, but I felt like it was good for him because it taught him a couple lessons, right? And he really handled it well. Um, he would love to have won a medal, and I think had he been a little more aggressive going out, he probably would have, but at that point, he wasn't ready to, to swim it that way. It's, um, I want to bring Coleman in here. Coleman, Coleman, what was your best 200 fly? That's a low blow. Uh, <laughs> I think, I, here's the thing. You're a flyer. You swim fly. You're legit. 
I I was um, two double O short course and two sixteen long course. Okay, so if you're Bob, if you're coming in and, you're, and you've got a kid on deck and and they they're Coleman Hodges and you got to got Coleman's got his hair pulled back, but you know I know you're going to tell him to. Good. The, the hair's gone. It's not down to his shoulders. You got that off the table. Um, what do you do with the kid who is, that's their best event? They're 2 200 yard fly. What, what, how, how do you approach that athlete? Um, we just try to set a goal that we think is reasonable. And let's say if he's two minutes, how about 156? Probably four seconds. And then in practice, we start working on the pieces, like that set of 45-50s. Instead of holding 25 seconds on 35, he's trying to hold 28, right? And the, the slower ones are 32. It doesn't matter. So what matters is he's developing the systems that are going to get him to where he wants to go. So we'll just take, you know, those kind of goals and move them down. And, you know, it, it's we talk all about Michael all the time, but, like, you know, some of my favorite swimmers of all time, there's a kid named Curtis Dow that you know Mary, right, swam in Tennessee. He swam for me at Michigan, came in at 154, and two years later went 143 and finaled at NC2As. But he's just doing the same kind of thing. You just kind of keep working it down. And if you're consistent and take care of the stuff away from the pool, probably is a big part of it, it's, it's relatively simple to make those drops if you're doing the stuff in practice and breaking it down. It's, it's a, you know, on a team, we have relationships with everybody, and we know where their talent is and, and what and, – relative to the work that they put in the pool. I started with a guy, Eric Topp, who yeah. could not walk on deck. This guy was so uncoordinated. And his freestyle, I, he couldn't break five minutes in a 500 freestyle. Yeah. He trained with me, and that guy put it down every day, kept me honest, and he just didn't have the ability, but he ended up finaling at the Olympic trials. Exactly. Uh, you yeah. just gave me an, exa an example of that. How often have you seen that in your coaching career, and do you have more examples that you can share with us? i got a ton of examples. Um, just you kind of see stuff like that a lot. Uh, like I'll, I'll give you a more recent example. Is we have this kid that came to our team this year as a freshman from Minnesota, Andrew Gray. 435, 500 at Pac-12s went 417.5. Why? Well, he's big and tall and has some talent, right? He has some ability, but he needed to consistently train. He needed to get stronger. He needed somebody telling him that's not good enough, right? Raise the bar a little bit. And, you know, if you kind of start doing stuff like that, I mean, those are my favorite kids, right? Because they're just usually great kids. They want to work hard. They just maybe haven't been in a program. Maybe they weren't in NBAC when they came to you. You know, they haven't had some big development program. So I, I think you see a lot of those. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of people in our program at Michigan. Alex Vanderkay, third in Olympic trials, right? He was, a, he was a pretty good butterflyer in high school, but not great. I'm going to say 150, right? 142 or 143, whatever it was at the time. One NC2As in the 400 IM, came in at 353 and went 340 which now doesn't get you in the final. It was crazy. He won two years in a row at 340. I don't even know how we got to where we are. But. So I, I just think the, the common thread in those guys is they're usually fairly quiet. They get in and they just do their work every day. And they have a high average level. And that's what Michael did too. Like, you know, Michael, I can give you some of his 10 practices on a scale of 1 to 10. 
but there aren't that many of them. There also aren't very many twos, but there are a ton of eights. Like almost every day was an eight, just a very high average level of work. And I think that's what the best ones do, or the ones that improve the most do. At a period of time in your at, uh, in BAC, um, you had you had a crew of, of talent that was the, it was it was the all star team. It was the dream team. Yeah. And you know, outside of that, everyone's opinion. A lot of elites like me were were going. You know what? I don't know if I'd want to be suffering through day after day. It's so many egos. There's so many people who can just put it down. And yeah. at a certain point, that can can be a detriment. Right. Um, a, who was there? And you know, tell everybody who was there, and then and tell me how you manage that. Well, I guess you're talking about probably that 2013-ish, right? When we had Michael came back. He came back at the end of that. Yannick Agnel, right? Super guy from France. A talent like I've never really seen before. And actually, I've seen Michael do great practices, but I've seen Yannick do a couple things that are like Michael could not do. Just crazy. Yeah. Uh, Connor Dwyer. Tom Luxinger. Um in the women's side, who else was in there? We had a lot of freeze, you know. Had, Sierra was training. Uh, Allison was back in the summer. So it was a pretty, pretty high-level group. And I think that the, the key thing was um, trying to give them opportunities where they could sort of compete, but not making that every day. They just could not do it. Ultimately, I, I don't think it worked that well. That's why Yannick probably went back home. I know it is. It was just – if you watch the Michael Jordan documentary, Michael Phelps, very similar. Not easy to train in an environment where somebody is kind of pushing you like that every day. Um, but I think when it was really clicking and everybody was swimming well, we were basically giving them maybe two opportunities a week where they'd go head to head. And the rest of the time, we kind of arrange it so they weren't. Um, because otherwise, they're just too competitive. They just kill each other. Like those guys are like Yannick one time, and this is a total Yannick story, but he was like, we were in Florida training and they were, they were doing this set and I don't even remember what it was, but there was some period of rest where they were on the wall and then they were going to time a 50 free, right? It's just a 50 fast. And they're sitting there and getting ready to go on the top or something. But all of a sudden Yannick just leaves. Like he didn't know when to go. And I swear to God, he went like 22-2 from a push. It was like a motorboat went down. Everybody's like, what the hell is he doing? I didn't have my watch on it, right? And he would just do some stuff like that. He could just generate tremendous speed. But, you know, I think when you have a group like that, it's a real challenge to have everybody be able to benefit from the competition but not get, you know, kind of destroyed by it. Because it's hard. It's hard in there. We're down to about seven minutes left, and I just wanted to bring in Haley, and, and uh, I think she made a great decision to, to, be, to be working with you, collaborating with you. I think this is, uh, this is a sacred period in time rolling into the Olympics. Yeah. And uh, she, she looks beautiful in the water. Uh, I think she's got it. And I, th I think that I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm looking forward to seeing her performance next year. Uh, what, what, are the, what, what are you doing with her? to make the difference between now and trials in 2021? Well, you know, number one, Jack did an amazing job with her, right? And got her to where she is. We're hoping we can kind of improve it a little bit. Um, the main thing we've done with her is try to get her legs in her stroke, back to my thing, right? 
because she's really an arm dominant swimmer. And the problem with that is you can start out with your arms, but if you don't have anything to add to that, you just kind of peter out at the end of the race, which is what she's done in a couple of the big races, right? So she kind of get real fired up, go for it, and then there's not much left at the end. So what we've done is tried to get her legs involved in every cycle, not have any cycles where she kind of drops her legs out, and that's what she was doing. She would kick for a couple cycles, then maybe not kick, or you know, that kind of thing. So we're trying to get that continuous action, and the way that we did that back to our yoga talk, is through breathing, right? So you might notice now she's breathing two up, one down, all the time, whole race. And that has really kind of calmed her down. Number one, it's just calmed her down because it's regular breathing. And number two, it's really helped her carry the speed through the race because I think she stays in a better horizontal position and uses her legs better. Oh, fascinating. All right, we're down to about six minutes, but I, I have to ask you some yeah. real nerd stuff. Okay. Where, where are we going to go in 200 fly? Men's 200 fly. Just out of curiosity, be indulgent here. We're, you know, it's uh, 20. It's Los Angeles 2028. What's yeah. uh, what, what's it going to take to win that gold medal? You're going to be under 150 for sure, right? I think yeah, you do now. Yeah, you're going to have to be under 150, which is crazy. But I, I see people going 48 or 49. Probably. With open turns, that's a 200 freestyle. You know, go go that fast in 200 free with open turns. Yeah. So that's what it's going to take. What is okay? So next question, Mr. Bowman, what's it going to take to go that fast? And what do you have to do in the pool to go that fast? You're going to have that's some really tall dudes. <laughs> I think you know there's still room in the underwaters for people to maximize that. But I think you're going to find that the person who does that is going to be much like Kieran Perkins in the mile. It's somebody who's going 49 and 100 fly. That's who it's going to be. They're going to have to have that speed so they can get out easily in, I don't know, 51 or, you know, something like that. They're just going to cruise out. They're not going to hammer it out. They're going to go 150 going out, bro. Orlando, Luca, yeah. uh, you, uh, he's, this is a, it's a bright young kid. We're looking forward to what he has coming up. Um, and he's got, the, you know, he dislocated his shoulder, and he, now he's, he's recovered. He's back in the pool. Uh, he has a beautiful stroke. Is there – I'm not asking you to coach him, but if you were like going to drop some sugar in his ear and go, hey, buddy, you might want to try this, what would that be? <laughs> I'm not sure I could do that as an NC2A coach, and he's a prospect right now. Oh, no, I, that's true. I'm sorry. Right, let's just <laughs> so say, that, say, say reserve judgment on that one. <laughs> let's just say you, you, you imagine that Michael's going to talk to him because Michael has the Bowman experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he shares it. Mm -hmm. Well, With, you know, I, I think the legs are always the most important part. Uh, getting those underwater so they're really popping and you're taking them out, pushing the limits on it, that's a way to get down there. Because he, he's on the bubble. He's got a, he's got a breakthrough right now. Yeah. And, that, and that's probably the hardest thing to do as an elite athlete is to go from, from being great to getting a piece of history. Now, here's the thing. We've got three minutes left. Yeah. Are there any questions? Is there a question out there about butterfly that nobody's asked you that we're missing? And you're like, you got to cover this. This is this and there might this my parting thoughts on butterfly. Parting thoughts. Parting thoughts on butterfly. Um, I would say that um, butterfly is something that's best done a little bit really well, and then once you get that going, you can start adding, figuring out ways to build up the volume of it. 
But having young kids swim a lot of butterfly does not help their stroke and doesn't really make them better swimmers in the actual event. Okay, then let's squeeze this in because we still yeah. have more time left. Mark Spitz, 200 butterfly, that was his gateway race. Phelps, 200 butterfly, that, that's a gateway race. That's what cracks the seal. Why is that? That's, that's, a, that's kind of a thing. Why is well, that? Why, hey, why is that? They're both similar athletes, right? They both had a good 100 and a 200, and they were versatile. They swam a five, Mark Spitz was a world record holder at 1,500 meters, right? I believe. So they had a, a background of that kind of swimming, and they naturally kind of flowed into that. And that's probably also an event where people in general aren't that good. Because it takes a lot of hard work, and it takes some technique. It's, it's a combination of this endurance – speed and technique in a very unique way probably unlike any other event so what you're telling me is that the 200 butterfly really is like a piece of cake it's like a really great flourless chocolate cake and you only get a little bit of it at a time you don't need those calories just take a little bit <laughs> is uh what, what is what, what's 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 a moment and oh, we got left so we got one minute left yeah uh, any parting thoughts before we, before we sign off. No, but this has been a lot of fun. I mean, I guess my parting thought is, you know, everybody just keep thinking about your technique, keep improving it and work hard and we'll get through this current situation and move on to something really good. Coach, thank you so much for coming on. Were you going to come back? Oh yeah, I'll be back. <laughs>